Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps, episode 18, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. This episode is featuring the 1988 action film Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. This film is based off the 1979 novel Nothing Lasts Forever, written by former police officer Roderick Thorpe. This film also made it into the U.S. Library of Congress's National Film Registry for its impact on cinema and pop culture. I am joined today by Nakatomi's Executive Vice President, Chris McMullen. Hi. Craig Moore of the FBI. Hi, everybody. And known terrorist, Sarah Alexander. Guten Abend, Herr Costa. <laughs> so we're not going to fuck around here. We're going to get right into it, into the most important Die Hard topic. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Why or why not? The floor is open. Hard yes, absolutely. It happens at Christmas. There's Christmas music. There's Christmas carol being sung as the credits roll. It's a Christmas yeah, story. There's no doubt about it. No one can dispute it's a, not a Christmas movie. Sarah, you on board? Yeah, sure. If people want it to be a Christmas movie, I don't have a hard stake in it either way. I won't watch it for Christmas. So you can gatekeep Christmas. That's fine. No, no, no. I, I, I don't care. I'm going to go on a limb here and say this is the best best Christmas film ever made. It's wrong because the best Christmas movie ever is Scrooged with Bill Murray. The best Christmas movie of all time is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the original cartoon version. Let me go back. This is the best Christmas film I've seen. I have not seen that one, Chris. And Craig, this is better than The Grinch Stole Christmas. I'm sorry. What about It's a Wonderful Life? Well, that's just an incorrect opinion. I don't know what that is. Oh, that's my favorite Christmas movie. I cry. Is it on the list? Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's on the list, and I hope that you end up ranking it higher than <laughs> Die Hard later. <laughs> Yeah, I totally think this is a Christmas movie too. We got Christmas Eve. We got a Santa hat. The terrorist gets killed, thrown down the elevator, says ho, ho, ho on his shirt and has a Santa hat. If that's not Christmas, I don't know what is. Is the second one a Christmas movie too? Oh, I have not seen the second one. It, ta it also takes place at Christmas. They're like, how does this keep happening at Christmas, I think? It's maybe a Christmas series. As a child of divorce, there was as much warfare going on on this Christmas Eve as most of my Christmas Eve. So it felt very relatable in that aspect. Is that what's wrong with you? You're a child of divorce? Chris. There's many things wrong with me. <laughs> it's one of the things wrong with him. Moving on. <laughs> let's talk about our core characters, their roles in the story. Mr. John McClane, what do you guys think of our lead? He had a lot of great one-liners. And as, I guess, an action star, he was okay. As a character, I don't know that. I got a lot out of him, but he was entertaining. He felt like 1980s Tony Stark. The way that Tony Stark shoots his missiles as Iron Man, delivers a quip, the exact same thing happens in this film. And you can kind of see why this film is regarded as a classic. If it's good or not, it was at least influential because shit like that now is everywhere. But isn't that kind of a James Bond thing? Please don't compare John McClane to James Bond. No, no. What I'm saying is that that trope of like saying something awesome and then doing something cool and laughing at the bad guy is kind of a bond trope okay yes that's fair yeah i mean i think he was just a, a poor americans version of james bond he was more gun toting more rootin tootin version of a good action hero he's a damn cowboy son you better show some respect he's a new york cowboy i thought john was super shallow it's hard to sympathize with him because at the beginning he's so snarky especially to argyle in the cab argyle is the best cab driver you will ever have in your life and even argyle's great lines barely get him out of his shell 
And then you get to the hotel and you find out that he was too fucking stubborn to let his wife be the breadwinner of the family. So he sabotages his own marriage. That's bad enough, but he has two fucking kids that get caught in the crossfire because he is so unable to accept and get past the fact that just because a gender norm exists doesn't mean it has to rule your life. That's what people thought then though. It was, it was gross. Well, it's, it's interesting because it, at the end of the film, it touches on the fact that he's able to overcome that and he's able to reignite the passion with his wife and get over the fact that she's more successful than he is. Like, I'm going to put this in air quotes, successful for audio listeners. But my whole issue with that is that subplot feels so disconnected from the main terrorist plot that it seems so strange that going through this ordeal with the terrorist would be like, okay, now I accept that a woman can be the head of the household. Now that I've saved your life. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the connective yeah. tissue there? Now that I've proven I'm this godly man, I guess you can make some money as a director yes. and I'm yeah. okay with it. Now that you needed me to save you. I agree, Jordan. Now that I've got one that I can hold over your head forever, I suppose I'll <laughs> let you succeed a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The redeeming characteristics, I did love his one-liners. yippee Kaye, motherfucker is super fun to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, perhaps I will be adding this, not into my daily vocabulary, but when necessary, a yippee Kaye may come up. I actually said that this morning in our staff meeting. <laughs> <laughs> was it well-received? No, it was not. A... What do you think about our boy Hans Gruber as our antagonist? Best villain. Alan Rickman is a great actor. I loved Hans Gruber. This whole, oh, they want to think we're terrorists? That's fine. Just roll right along with it because I'm just here to get rich, baby. This is yet another movie where I'm like, I actually like the bad guy better than the good guy. Yeah. I'm right yeah. there with you. I didn't like that they forced the German, but... I was doing a little bit of research, and when this film came out, there was a little bit of a negative response to McLean, but everyone did praise Alan Rickman's charisma in the role as Hans Gruber. And I think that's well-deserved. I think he does a really good job with what he's given. And he also sings the Christmas carol at the end of the movie in the credits. No way, really? <laughs> He did on the version I watched. I love Alan Rickman as Gruber. The way he plays around with John on the phone and kind of his minions and acts yeah. as almost a puppet master. He's moving the chess pieces around the grid. When he's on screen, I'm having a good time. John McClane's moments are fun to watch and I think it's entertaining to watch these Rambo-esque scenes, but the show does really shine once Han Gruber gets there and he's snarky. He's just great. The only criticism I have is that he didn't really have a great or compelling motive to make you relate at all with the villain. When they start, it's about terrorism, but when you, towards the end of the film, you find out he's just in it for the $600 million. And I felt like giving him a real reason to strive for this would have made his character even better and would have made the film even better because instead of having good and evil, you can kind of shift that to shades of gray, which to me always feels more compelling. It was $600 million. I would agree that shades of gray is usually more compelling, but when you have a protect like John McClane, who's just a rootin' tootin' cowboy. Really, the proper foil to have against that is just, you know, the bank robber and the old-timey city who just wants to break into the vault and steal all the gold. That It's a cowboy movie, right? That's all it is. And you got the wandering masked cowboy who wanders into town just in time to catch the bad guy who's trying to rob the train or whatever. That's all it is. I loved Alan Rickman, but I wanted a reason to root for him other than the fact that I think he's a good actor because the character felt a little bit dry other than uh, what, what the actor was able to put in to flesh it out. Like, I really don't think he was given a lot to succeed, and I think it's a miracle that he succeeded at all. I think that's all the characters, though. None of them were really given a lot. They're all pretty surface. And the only reason I cheered for Alan Rickman is just because John McClane got so cocky. Yeah. 
I would like to argue that not all the characters are super lame surface level. I'd like to give a shout out to my boy Powell, who I think is the most important of the side characters. Putting him in the film is almost necessary, not only because it gives John McClane someone to interact with to develop his character and kind of allow the audience to empathize with him. They take the dark route and I was surprised. He was being harassed for being a desk jockey, but the rationale for that, I thought hit pretty deep and was the most emotionally impactful part of the film and particularly relevant for modern modern political culture. But it's not really built on of anything. He just says the line and then that's to trigger the ending and make the ending more meaningful. But it's not really, it's just a sentence that he says in one conversation. We don't get any of his trauma to see, I guess. We just have to hear him kind of get teased once or twice. But it doesn't really come into yeah. play at any other time. Like we never see him hesitate to shoot somebody. Like it just comes up in passing conversation. Yeah, it's just a Chekhov's gun. Like the thread isn't carried out throughout the entire thing, but I felt in a show or a movie without a lot of emotional depth, I thought it was a nice little bit of uh, sprinkles on top of the cupcake, if you will. So I think we're going to keep running to this, running into this the more and more we get into this list where we have movies that are placed in kind of awkward positions because when you analyze the storyline, the storytelling in this movie and compare it to something like Memento, which is number one on it, list. Maybe that's not a fair comparison because it's number one on my list. But when you compare it to a lot of the other movies we've seen, the storytelling is just not there. It doesn't give me a reason to give a shit about any of these characters other than one's a rootin' tootin' cowboy and the other is a mask-wearing bandit. Other than that, I don't really care about the story they're trying to tell me other than I just want to see who's left standing at the end. Does the action make the meaningless story matter less to you? So in order to have a movie that can get away with having such little story everything else needs to be incredible and this one didn't do it for me and I look I know it's a 33 year old movie but it just isn't standing on its own Rocky for example didn't have a crazy interesting story but the fight scenes were kind of cool I think at the time it was pretty spectacular Did you say 88 I, the 14 year old <laughs> me would have uh, thought this was fucking amazing I guess that is why it's on this list is that maybe for the time this was I don't know before this what these status of action movies was or if this was just groundbreaking for how many explosions you can put in without having a real plot. I could be totally wrong about this, but I think it's akin to Seven Samurai in its place on the list in the fact that it set a lot of trends moving forward and was culturally relevant, but it wasn't necessarily the best form of that impact or that genre, but it built the foundation for others to go above and beyond. I think that's very fair because I'm trying to think about like everything was practical back, but those explosions look so real. They did practical effects to blow up the top of a skyscraper in Los Angeles. That's pretty awesome. I want to just set the record straight. I did think this was a really fun movie to watch. I thought the action scenes were great. And while I didn't think they were great enough to carry the lackluster story in terms of like my favorite movies of all time, this is a super fun watch. And I can understand why people watch this on Christmas. If you're sick of Rudolph Claymation, like this is a great way to experience a, uh, like a very strange kind of Christmas feel with the music and have some fun. So let me ask you this. If this movie gets a place on this list based on action sequences, do you think the action 
in this film is better than Terminator. Probably not. I've never seen Terminator. Terminator came out in 1984. So before this then. I think that the scale of the action is so much bigger. Mm. I, I would disagree. Terminator also isolated itself by being a science fiction film in a time when science fiction wasn't trendy or a big part of popular culture. I think it was more on the fringe. I think that might have hurt it in the minds of the people who made the list. I don't know. This has a lot more mainstream appeal, I think, than Terminator. And I think that might be why it would be here over something like that. I think I have to disagree with you. Sci-fi was big in the 80s. Sci-fi, you know, you had Star Trek, the original series really amped that up in the 70s, got people into it. Yeah, but if you liked it, you were a fucking nerd. <laughs> no, it was mainstream. Star Wars was the highest grossing film for like 30 years. And it came out in 77. So you're going to sit there and tell me that the highest growth grossing film at that time was a weird niche cult following no it was very much everybody watching that stuff I agree with the sentiment that I think Jordan was getting at that this just seems like it was created for mass appeal like they don't really focus in on any particular area they're just trying to get as many people to watch this as possible and they're making it as easy to consume as possible there's not a plot you have to get invested in you're just there to have fun and watch the explosions it's just pretty mass market well said. I'd like to also note that this movie was 40% less cringe than any Star Wars film other than Rogue One, because Rogue One is awesome. Well, it's okay to be wrong. Are you going to hold him or am I? <laughs> I think you're right, Jordan. I'll hold him. You hit him. <laughs> Good. That's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> When we get a chance to do one of these in person, uh, someone's going to get hit. It's going to be you, Jordan. <laughs> I guarantee it. Of course it's just... going to be me. Chris is usually the contrarian. Maybe Chris will get hit, but it depends. Because I feel like Chris is the one who will do the hitting. So will any of us have the courage to hit Chris? It'll either be one of you two. Do you guys have any other side characters you want to bring up that you really enjoyed or that you wanted to make a comment on? I like the two German brothers. Loved Argyle. I enjoyed that. Argyle was awesome. He was the comic relief that this film needed. He's sitting there. There's a, not a nuke, but like a missile flying off in the background. The ground shakes and Argyle's chatting his honeys up on the phone, drinking the other hand. <laughs> Hanging out with the stuffed bear. Go there, yeah, babe. Of course I'm coming over tomorrow night. <laughs> Playing Christmas in Hollis. That cell phone <laughs> bill would have been thousands of dollars this whole scene was probably mm -hmm. very novel at the time having a car phone we all laugh oh at yeah it. yeah it's probably like whoa this is real ritzy car phones smoking indoors going indoors yes. yeah. Yeah, going. <laughs> imagine going to a christmas party with a bunch of other people in there Ooh. no masks in sight whoa he yeah. was smoking in the baggage claim. That was crazy. Yeah, in the airport. He also had his yeah. service piece on him on the plane. Yeah, you could definitely tell that a lot of this stuff was pre 9-11 because they're doing like terrorism. The terrorism solution is to just let them have control of the building mm -hmm. and see <laughs> what happens. Hey, yeah, we'll just we'll put a helicopter on top and just see what happens. Two FBI guys, that ought to be enough. <laughs> I did like the FBI guys. They were fun too. Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson. <laughs> I have one other thing I want to bring up in relation to the plot. And I really should have brought this up when we were talking about Hans Gruber. I felt like if this is the route they were going to take with him, they should have just made him so much more evil and cruel than he was. I felt like you could generate so much more tension if Hans Gruber was fucking destroying hostages every 20 minutes while this guy was running around the vents to really build up a sense of tension. Show me some fear. I agree with you. It seems like none of the hostages even really cared. The good way to do that would have been the 
same way that they try to portray the Joker. Usually, if you want to have this lighthearted guy cracking jokes to the hero, you should also have him show that he's also willing to be absolutely chaotically ruthless to get what he wants. If you're not going to give me a reason to empathize with the villain, just make him a scumfuck bastard. He got a couch for the pregnant lady. Two for one special. Boom. Kicks her out the window. That's the one liner. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite kind of villains, right? Like, don't be, don't be rude. Chris wanted Patrick Swayze in Roundhouse to be the bad guy. Be nice until it's time to not be nice. That's the whole point, though. If you're going to make him nice, that should be a reason why you would empathize with him or part of his backstory when that doesn't get flushed out. Except for, like, the people he just blew away with, like, mid-conversation. You don't count them. Who did he blow away mid-conversation? He killed CEO. the yeah. Nakatomi executive and Ellis. He killed someone else. I think that's it. Oh, and the security guard. Yeah, all right, I guess. But still, it didn't feel like there was enough tension there. I felt like you could have milked Hans him. is great. It's the only good thing about the movie. No, that's not true. I like the movie. I think he's great, but I don't think he's his character is infallible like Jordan said I think he could have been used as a tool to increase the tension in the movie because the movie never really had a sense of tension other than that these guys might get away like, like who cares that's what's missing no tension you know your main character isn't gonna die yeah. you guys you, you hit the nail on the head there's not enough tension there's no stakes yeah, I agree. Not really. No, you never feel like you're anyone's no. really at risk. Yeah, except for people without names. Even at the end where they have the top of the buildings ready to bomb and he has to get the people off of the roof, that went really quick and that wasn't even suspenseful. Like, oh, are they going to make it or not? When they're flying the choppers around and the guy says, this reminds me of Saigon. <laughs> I got yeah. a little deer hunter flashback there. He should have said, this reminds me of playing Russian roulette in Saigon. <laughs> Don't know you're giving me flashbacks of that terrible movie. <laughs> throwback do you guys have any uh particular moments you thought stood out as really great or moments you thought stood out as terrible i thought there were a lot of great little moments that would be memorable him crawling through the air vent him jumping in the elevator shaft running through the glass with his feet like, that's what i think is memorable about this movie is there were a lot of cool little things in it the larger story I don't, I don't give a shit about well put so for me my favorite scene is the one where he runs into hans yeah. Hans's American accent. Oh, he's so good. It's like that, like somewhere in the Bible belt, like totally cowardly. Oh, that was, that was beautiful. Just the, how he switched it like that. I'd like to take something back. That was an act, actually a tense scene when I want to call him Willis because I feel like the character itself was so impactless when McCain and Gruber finally meet, but McCain doesn't know that Gruber is Gruber. And that was a great scene. That was really enjoyable. And I like that you kind of get the double fake where the guy goes to betray him, but he anticipates it, swings around with the gun. Different version of the film, Clay is a normal dude and dies because he didn't get any ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well, every one of the interactions between Hans Gruber and John McClane are good mm -hmm. moments in the film. Their characters do play really well off each other and the actors play really well off each other too, I think. My favorite scene in the movie, towards the very end, where Hans Gruber and John McClane are having that kind of tense standoff where John McClane's got his hands up like he's surrendering and they have that kind of back and forth, witty back and forth, Roy Rogers, yippee Kaye motherfucker moment. Mm. And he yells for Holly to like to get out of the way and she actually hits Hans Gruber into the window. It was a whole really cool scene. That really, for me, was the culmination of all of the Gruber and McLean scenes together, and it was well executed. Yeah, I agree. The ending itself was 
fun. I thought leading up to the ending, there was about 15 or so minutes where they're just kind of trying to get to that climax that I thought dragged a little bit. But once we got there, once we had that final standoff, that was fun. Do you know they really dropped Rickman like 30 feet? Oh. Yeah, and they did it on two or something like that. They said, okay, we'll drop you on three. And then they went one, two, and dropped him so he'd actually have like the what the fuck face. <laughs> That's like in seven when they didn't tell him the third sin was yeah. going to screech up at him. Scared the shit out of the poor actor. The one thing that really irritated me was the shitty symbolism of the what saved Holly was undoing the watch that she had earned. What she worked hard yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, yep. Yeah, that pissed me off. I'm going to give up the things I care about now. John was right. That's a beautiful Rolex Datejust, yeah. by the way, folks. Yeah. Rolexes are for douches. I hated that. If it makes her feel any better, if she's the director of this company that spends $610 million in 10 days, she can buy a new Rolex. So Hopefully she gets an Omega or uh, something else. Maybe she's CEO now. Fold up some of those bonds and stuff them in the back <laughs> yeah, pocket true. on the way out of the building. <laughs> no one's going to know. Well, they must got lost in the fall. Oh, Who's gonna know? Keepers. You guys want to talk a little bit about the music? Yeah, what music? Was there anything? I thought the music was wonderful in this film. I can understand you guys not liking the other soundtracks on the list, but this does something really cool that makes it unique. It takes a very stereotypical action movie soundtrack and then it throws in awesome Christmas remixes in. It's like every fourth track to really build on that Christmas vibe. And hearing these renditions of these familiar tunes, but with this bombastic vibe, I thought it was really cool and it really made this soundtrack feel unique. Does it rage anyone else that he likes this soundtrack and not seven. <laughs> the only thing I remember hearing is just different variations of what is it, Beethoven's Ninth that's in this, and then Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC. No, 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 no. They do like, there's like three or four Christmas tracks. Sorry, Jordan, you're on your own for this one. No, I thought this music was great. Give it a hard D minus. I said to Bree at one point, they have been playing, that guy has been playing that song on that piano for like three hours. Jordan, this soundtrack or Slumdog soundtrack? Slumdog soundtrack is more entertaining, but this soundtrack, oh no, but the sitar in Slumdog. <laughs> the sitar just hit me. Jordan, I need you to prepare yourself. <laughs> right now I am I'm just putting a slap in my pocket, and the next time I see you, I'm gonna <laughs> slap you. <laughs> I got my ninja moves ready. <laughs> I think I enjoyed the Slumdog soundtrack more. They're both very top tier, uh, like nine out of 10 soundtracks, but Slumdog just hit me better because I enjoyed that style of music more, but it's not because it didn't fit better. Mm. And where would you rank seven? Seven soundtrack? Oh, it had that awful remix of Nine Inch Nails, like two. Now I'm gonna <laughs> cut you when you come to my house. <laughs> He's putting a cut in his pocket. <laughs> I've got a cut in my pocket. No, seven soundtrack was completely okay. <laughs> All right, folks, we're gonna rank this bad boy. If you're following along with the YouTube video, you can see a list of all of our live rankings at the top of the description. But without further ado, Miss Alexander, where are you gonna put Die Hard? 15th below Rocky and above Pan's Labyrinth. I'm going to place this in 13th below Rocky and above Pan's Labyrinth. We got some tough critics here for Die Hard. How about you, Chris? So I'm gonna put it at number nine between Bonnie and Clyde and Pan's Labyrinth. Chris, when you went into this recording session, did you think you were going to be putting Die Hard the highest out of anyone? Uh, no. Huh, interesting. Because I'm going to slap this bad boy at slot number 14, right below Bonnie and Clyde, and right above Airplane. I thought this film was super fun, but it's not in my top 10. It ain't in my top 20. Probably ain't in my top 30. I didn't hate watching it. I thought it was a fun time, but very forgettable in 2021. Yes. Mm -hmm. What are we going to be watching in episode 19 of Popcorn Peeps? 
Oh, no. Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings. <laughs> How is it Lord of the Rings time again yeah, already? Like, what the shit? Are we done, though? No, two's further up on the list. It's on the list? I was just trolling. Oh, oh yeah. my God. You can't do I just me wanted like to that. see Chris's face. <laughs> and where can our audience check out Fellowship of the Ring? Looks like renting is your only option. There is nothing free. If you want to go 4K, you've got Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, Microsoft, and YouTube. Thank you very much. I'd like to extend a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com. Special thank you to Frank Costa, Travis Laporte, Ryan Saarinen, Jim Wamsley, and Sarah Renye. Thank you very much. Your support is never required, but always appreciated. If you would like to support the show on Patreon.com, there's a link at the top of the YouTube description. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. This was on Disney+. Plus. I paid for this. Fuck me.